Ayushi Mona and you're listening to India Booked, a podcast where we lean into the idea of India through its literature and we speak to authors who bring this to life. Hello everyone, I am Ayushi Mona, your host on India Booked, a podcast where we lean into the idea of India through the voice of its authors and literature. Today I'm elated to have with me Shantanu Datta. Shantanu Datta has had a stellar career as a journalist. For much of the past three decades, he has been at the forefront of reporting about music in India. This has given him unprecedented access to the greatest performers from around the world who played in the South Asian subcontinent. This book compiles for the first time detailed interviews that he conducted with seminal artists like Roger Waters, Ian Anderson, Martin Barr, Mark Knopfler and many others including Carlos Santana, Dr. L. Subramaniam, John McLaughlin, Sting among others. His candid and informed conversations with these legends give us a rare glimpse into the minds of those trailblazers who've influenced generations with their music. On this episode of India Book, we take a walk through memory and music lane with Shantanu Datta as his own life emerges throughout the book when he deftly weaves together his professional experience of reporting with the personally thorough shared threads of melody and song. Uh, Shantanu, welcome to the show and thank you for agreeing to do this. Thank you. Thank you, Ayushi. It's lovely to be here and thank you for having me. So, Shantanu, the thing is that I finished reading the book a week back, you know, but last night I went back, you know, and, and I uh, looked at portions that I had highlighted and, uh, and uh, some of them were uh, as simple as, say, recommendations. So, something like, you know, an outro that you have of the handful of jazz albums that you've collected over the years. Or the section on Usha Uthap, or uh, you know, or uh, sections about Miles Davis. So I, I just went and reread them. Uh, but really, I think what you've done uh, in terms of reporting music for o- around three decades now is phenomenal in itself. And and you've literally seen the transformation of taste in Western music you know, in India. I would like to actually throw the ball in your court and ask about how has this journey through speaking to all these legends, yes, but also the experience of how, say, Western music is consumed in India changed, um, you know, in these very many years. Well, uh, first, I'm a music fan and uh, being a journalist, one of the perks of the job is that you get to meet um, all kinds of people, extraordinary people. And and when I started off, uh, you know, so music was always at the back of my mind. And whenever an opportunity came and um, I sort of latched on to it and tried to do something with it. So that's how it all began. And ever since I started, it, it, it just, I got, I just got hooked onto it, you know, because it's like, for me, having grown up listening to music as all of us do, various kinds of music. And there were these people I was sitting across who were just names on vinyl records. 
And it's as though those names came alive when I spoke to them and I discussed the songs, their, the songs, their songs that I heard on the record. And it was as simple as that. And, and it started off like that. And, um, and then, you know, I've been incredibly lucky to have been at the right place at the right time. So starting with uh, the first gig of Jethro Tal in, the, in Bombay, way back in 1991, when I used to live in Calcutta, but we just went down there and, and you know, sort of managed to meet the man and talk to him. So, and I was very lucky that my paper, I was a young cub reporter then, and I just said that, you know, I I wanted to go and cover this show. And, and the Telegraph people said they were not interested to send me to Calcutta and spend money, this young little boy who, so I said I'd go on my own, but and I'll write something. If you like it, we'll take it. If not, you know. But I was surprised whatever I wrote did come out. And it was, that's how it sort of started, you know, that just got me into it. Since then, I have been, uh, you know, at them and keeping an eye out for whenever musicians came to our country to perform and if I could sort of be there. And that's how I sort of managed to talk to them. So, and I, I think, uh, you know, Rod Stewart said it best, right? Uh, some guys have all the luck. And, uh, and and I'm sure a lot of aficionados of Western music feel that way. But really, this, I, I want to go back to the second part of my question, Shantanu. Do you, what is the difference between, you know, from, say, those days, and then you spoke about your experience as a young reporter, to today, um, it, uh, where... Has there been a change in how music is reported? Has there? There's obviously a change in taste, perhaps, and and music like everything evolves. But since you've sort of kept an eagle eye on the scene for so many years, what do you think is different from then to now? One of the first things that's different is uh, when we were yeah when I was younger and during the time I'm talking about which is in the 90s when I just spoke about this. The Jethro Tull tour, uh, you know, music was on cassette and it was not not as easily available as it is today. Today, almost anything you you can just get it on your phone. The availability of music has been a boon for us, but it's been sort of a nightmare for the musicians themselves because it's so easily available and they are not sort of being adequately compensated and remunerated for them. That's that's of course another another uh, story. So that's one. One thing is that, you know, it's, it's, it's easily available now. But, and uh, in terms of listening, I think tastes, yes, tastes grow and people become more mature. But uh, one of the fascinating things that I found in this book is that while doing this book, and one of the reasons I started doing this was that I came to ask myself that why is it that we keep going back to the music of these people? The Beatles, the Pink Floyd, Rolling Stones, Jethro Tull. And these guys are, some are not even alive anymore. And some of them are there. They're in their 70s. They're granddads, rock star granddads, still performing and still drawing crowds into the thousands. So there, there, there has to be something why we go back to this music, which we have listened to so many number of times. And that's the question that got me. And that's that's what sort of prompted me to go back to these old interviews and see if they made sense. You know, this is 2020. 
and I realized that some of them did, some of them did, because uh, the lyrics are, are extremely relevant in the context of where we are today, most of their songs. And there is a sophistication of thought, which you, I, and all of us as listeners, when we are younger, we tend to miss. And we sort of rediscover when we grow up. So that's what got, got me really into it. And, you know, I must tell you, there was this concert in 2016 in the U.S. at the desert, at, in California. It's called the Desert Trip, where the greats, you know, Paul McCartney, Neil Young and Rolling Stones all, all played over two weekends. And they played songs of their times. And I wasn't, of course, there, but, you know, I read about it and managed to see a few clips. And, uh, you know, in, in that concert, the Rolling Stones played a Beatles song, Come Together. And Mick said on the mic that, you know, this is a song we'll do and it's done by this unknown beat group of some years, eons away. And they had a great, and they had a blast. So, you know, the Stones doing a Beatles song so many years later and instantly reminding me of my short conversation with Keith Richards when he was in Bangalore and Bombay and Delhi to play sometime in the year 2000, wherein uh, I asked him about the Beatles and he said, you know, sometimes uh, all of us would get together and we would joke and we would even say to us that, you know, guys, we should have all been in the same band. <laughs> now, now, that was a fantastic thing to say, you know. Because back in the days, you know, we had a group of friends who are Beatle diehards and then there are the others who are Rolling Stone diehards. So to see all these guys together and, and uh, so that was, that was what just really made me go back to these interviews. And then I realized that the amazing thing was that these musicians were still playing, still touring and, you know, their oeuvre is, is timeless. It's, it's, it's... Uh, it's simply amazing that it, uh, you know, sort of keeps on attracting us the way it did even before. And uh, that's about rock music. And then, and here I was, this guy brought, born and brought up in Calcutta, growing up in this milieu of diverse kinds of music from Rovindra Shongit and, you know, our film songs and folk music and whatnot. We were drawn to rock and then later on I started listening to jazz like everybody does, you know, and then, and so it sort of reinforces the idea of how secular our receptacles are. You know, we're so open to absorbing and listening to various strains of uh, cultures and that, that sort of come and reach us. So in that sense, so that was why I sort of got into it. And you asked me about tastes. Yes, I, I, I see young people, even, even my daughter, who, who introduced me to Korean pop, by the way. And heard of uh, before. This was about when she was a little younger and this was about four years ago. And they were into it and they were all having fun. And, and my daughter is in class, sort of in, in class 10 now. So she and her friends are now, now listening to the Beatles and they're listening to Bob Dylan and they're listening to all uh, Bruce Springsteen and um, sometimes going back 
on the old songs and the remixes that are available. So, so their music is all in their palms, you know, and going through this journey of discovering. Whereas we discovered music with whatever records were there, our parents bought for us, maybe it were there in the house and some that they bought and we listened to the radio a lot. So uh, I would say that uh, the kids of today have got exposed to all kinds of music pretty early. It took us a lot more time. But, uh, you know, my experience tells me that they just sort of find their way and find the good stuff that's there all around, you know, and, and, and some of the good stuff is invariably the kind of music uh, which we're talking about, you know. Mm-hmm. That's lovely. Shantanu, I want to ask you about um, the section in your book, which a lot of listeners might not really know about. is a gentleman named Dilip Balakrishnan and Hive, which was, you know, this Indian rock group. Uh, from Kolkata from the 70s and it pioneered Indian rock bands and their music was obviously heavily influenced by British and American rock acts etc but what I as a literature enthusiast also find very interesting that you know in their discography they have uh, these uh, thematic rock operas that are based or inspired by Lewis Carroll or J.R.R. Tolkien Absolutely now Dilip Balakrishnan was this you know, he's an extraordinary person. Unfortunately, we lost him. But uh, yes, he was a great musician. He used to read and write a lot. And you're absolutely right. So he's written these songs, some based on Louis Carroll, imagining lyrics from there, some on the Tolkien suit. In fact, the Tolkien suit is one of their concerts I remember hearing as I was when I was in school and we had gone to hear hear them play at uh, Kalamandir Basement, you know, there's a, it's a very famous auditorium in Calcutta and it has two... Is Kalamandir on Elgin Road? Yes, it is. Yes. Okay, I, I'm very happy because I studied in in Calcutta for three years. So now, uh, now that I just wanted memory to serve me and hence I asked you, though of course I will crop this out of the podcast or maybe not when it goes live, but... It's on Theatre Road. It's called Shakespeare Sarani. It's on Theatre Road at the beginning of Theatre Road. And, you know, it has two levels. There's a small auditorium in the basement and there was a, there's a larger one, you know, on top. So this was a small one. And that's where they premiered it. And I happened to be there. He played along with a gentleman by the name of Lou Hilt, who is in my book. Lou Hilt and he were great friends. And that's how and they would uh, do their music together. And, and you know, they would um, go to a friend's bungalow at a place called Narendrapur and they would jam through the night, play music for two, three days and record stuff and come back with ideas and then have the band play with them. So uh, it's really, Dilip's music is something which was, I mean, it so happened that they were in Calcutta. This music could have come from anywhere and, and, you know, and it would have been, instantly appreciated and the great thing about his music that you know he was influenced by Beatles by the Rolling Stones by the Grateful Dead Hendrix they all have it but they were they were they were not copies no way they were and not even derivatives but but somewhere in the music you would find that you know oh there there is this uh, the soul of the tune could 
probably lay somewhere far, far deep behind in a, in a, in a, in a Rolling Stone tune or, or somewhere. And, and not just the tune, the lyrics, the feel, the atmosphere. I'd like to play a song of theirs for you right now. Just, just see how it sounds. I, I... That was absolutely lovely. And, uh, you know, uh, Shandu, typically towards the end of um, every podcast, I, I would say ask, uh, you know, my guest to give like a reading recommendation. Um, we're just at midpoint in today's conversation, but I have, I'm changing that question. I am going to ask for music recommendation. <laughs> Yes, we will. We will. We will. As we go along and if, if people come up uh, while discussing, we'll try and play a little bit of their music. Uh, let me tell you, this is from a CD, the only CD of their music that HMV brought out, you know, after Dilip passed. And these were sort of mastered from cassette tape recordings, pretty crude recordings, but they've done a fantastic job. And we have about nine or ten songs in that CD. And... Uh, you know, it shares space in my little CD cabinet with the likes of what? Beatles, Stones, McLaughlin, Dr. Elson, and everything. And it, and it, and it's, it's there, you know, it's, it's legitimately there and it will always be there. And I'm sure it's the same thing with, uh, with the people who have that CD and who have his music in whatever form. It's just there. So that, that's the greatness of this guy. And, 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 you know, I, it, it sort of never ceases to amaze me that, you know, and he's from our city, man. And and it also, you know, makes me wonder that if this was, say, not, if if he was here in, say, the 2010s and the 2020s, instead of, say, the 80s, he would have uploaded all of this on YouTube and everyone everywhere would have had access to it, you know? Correct, correct, correct. That's true. That's true. Uh, a lot of his music is still on YouTube. Uh, a lot of the lines are there. They are not very good recordings. Uh, his son Tejan, who lives uh, in the UK, is 
sort of putting all that music together and he's trying to compile and they have some ideas about what to do with the music. And, um, you know, and this, this is just a, you know, a small sample of 10 songs that he's done. He's done, as you said, the Tolkien suit, the Lewis Carroll songs, and he's done a lot of work. Hopefully someday we will see more of his music coming out in a better format in, in you know, in, in properly. And, but it's up to, up to his uh, son Tejan and some of their friends to decide and do that. But I, I, I do hope that, you know, his music is heard widely. And, you know, this was done in the 70s, in late 70s. And we heard this is 2020 and it sounds so fresh. It's still so today. It's classical. It's classic rock. It's still so today. Which is just amazing. That that goes to show how how sort of you know enriching his music is to people like us who listen. True, and uh, one another aspect that you know that I find very endearing uh, in the book is is mentions of say rhythm house or melody. You know, because again, uh, understand the concept of a record store or a music store, right? Because as you said, uh, music is on your phone or or something that Alexa plays for you or something on your laptop or whatever, right? It's on a device. It it doesn't have a sanctuary assigned to it. And and the nostalgia of stores that's in your book I thought was very refreshing. I moved to uh, Mumbai around the time that Rhythm House shut. And of course there there was an outpouring of nostalgia, but of but but obviously at the same time nobody could really save it in in a business sense. Um, then I do also remember there used to be on Park Street a similar store which was um, very close to actually Flurries and near the Park Street Police Station. And I can't even now remember the name. That that's that was called Music World. Music World. And, and then there's, of course, uh, you know, Melody, which is this record store where young musicians in Calcutta also meet. It becomes a community space. You know, music sort of signposts our lives in many ways. And 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 uh, the physical manifestation of that signpost were, were, these, were these stores. And, um, and there was a store called, uh, which was in Newmarket, there was a store called... Uh, and uh, there are many of them, and there were none of them is still around, except for Melody. Melody, there's Melody, yes, and and you know there's another interesting store uh, which is called Braganza's. That's the store where every young and old musician goes to when you sort of when you're young and you want to become a musician, and before you realize that it's just not in in you, when you and buy your first guitar, and and you go to sort of buy the piano lesson books. So that's the go to Braganza's and that's that's and they they rent out pianos, you know. And and in fact the one we have at home is from there. So that's that's another store which is just sort of steeped in all is all kinds of history. And that store is still there. In fact there are two of them now. They've sort of opened another uh, larger modern looking air conditioned store. The first one wasn't like that. And they, they have everything. It's called Braganza's Everything Musical. And it's, it's, it's wonderful from violins to guitars to drums. Um, in fact, my first drum set was hired from, from that store. So I, there, there is a bit about them in my, in my book too. In fact, if I'm not wrong, um, uh, your book also mentions that everyone from like a George Harrison to an Ian Anderson visit Braganza to buy Indian instruments. 
Yes, absolutely. So if they were in Calcutta, when George Harrison was in Calcutta, he had, I'm told, had visited many of these shops. I'm not, I don't know whether he visited Braganza's, but I, I know he visited many of these shops to buy Indian music, music musical instruments. And um, any visiting musician, for that matter, who come to Calcutta would, would visit uh, Braganza's for sure. And there is a row of music shops in near uh, in Delousy, in near, uh, near just behind Lal Bazar, which is the police headquarters, where um, where you know they make harmoniums, sitars, and all kinds of things, and it's it's still there. They're not doing too well, but they're still there. The Calcutta's connection with music is is you know that's that's one other thing. It's 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 a it's a very deep connection, and it's it sort of spans all kinds of genres. We still have a Dover Lane music conference every winter, wherein the greats from all over the country make it a point to come and play. And uh, we have jazz concerts at, in a very small way nowadays, because they used to be much bigger ones earlier. And um, we have jazz concerts every winter at, at Delousey Institute, which is my club, DI. And, uh, and the, all the other clubs have some kind of the other musical shows every evening before all this, before we sort of shut down our lives to the pandemic. So, uh, so sometimes, I, and it's difficult to say whether I would have been able to write this book if I were living somewhere else. Of course not Bombay. Bombay too has a very, very rich musical history and, 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 and legacy. And, uh, but Calcutta is different, you know, in, in it's different in the way, in the way uh, music sort of appeals to people. And, and and the way um, a lot of that has sort of how the number of bands that have sort of come up. And I also speak of this old Bangla rock band called Mohinir Ghoraguli. They were around the same time as High was playing Western music. So you had Mohinir Ghoraguli playing rock music in Bangla. And uh, they, in fact, I, I will play a song of this and then I'll tell you a little bit about it. This is a Bangla song. It's called Hai Bhalubasha, Love and Despair. Oh, 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 oh,
This was a song which was written by uh, Bapida. I call him Bapida, and he's the one, uh, the founder of this band, uh, Munida, Gautam Chattopadhyay. He's passed away. So this was Bapi. He was 19 years old when he wrote this song. And I'll tell you what this song it talks about. It talks about how uh, it's a 45 RPM record, by the way, one of the first ones to sort of, you know, get uh, pressed in India of a, of a modern Bengali rock band. So they um, uh, wrote this song. He wrote this song because on a, on a river and, and um, while they were coming back with Monida, there's a background to it. I'm not going to tell you the whole story. It's there in my book, but it's, 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 he and Monida were coming back. It was the 70s, turbulent 70s in Calcutta. And while coming back and they were on a boat on a river and that's when he wrote this song about, uh, you know, love and despair. And one of the abiding uh, themes of the song is how uh, we all like so many things. It says, I will read out the lyrics for, for all of us and then we will sort of, you will understand. It says, Bhalobashi means I love. Bhalobashi Picasso, Bunovel Dante, Beatles, Dylan, or Beethoven, Shunte, Rubi Shankar, or Ali Akbar, Shune, Bhalo Lage, Bhore, Kuashai, Ghore Pitte, Tobuo, Kichui Janu Bhalo Lagena, Udashi Pathe, Maji Monpore, Thake Janu, Kothai, Ruechi, Babi Luki, Bishad Tobu. So I am this person who loves Picasso, Bunovel, Dante, Beatles, Dylan, Rubi Shankar, Akbar. But well, there is something, some little thing missing somewhere in my life when I come home, come back home. Obviously, a reflection of the times and 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 what uh, he sort of went into. And and Bapida, you know, he has has his own band now, and he plays this song with youngsters. And uh, I happen to have heard them, you know, again, and and uh, they all sang this song together. And I'll, I'll um, and, and the name of the band, by the way, is called they called Mohinir Ghoragali, which means the Flying Horseman. And uh, I will read out a little section from my book. And it sort of will. I heard them play a year later, when Mohin Akono Bondura were performing at what looked like a makeshift hall with a tin shed for roof at Lake Town on the northern fringes of Calcutta. It was to celebrate the band's eighth and the current lineup's third anniversary. A host of young musicians, all well-known names, had gathered there to celebrate Mohinir Ghoraguli and their music. The finale was Hai Bhalobashi. The audience joined in for what has now come to be regarded as the national anthem for Bangla bands. Mobile flashlights were turned on, the crowd swaying to the opening riffs of the song that has been front-loaded with a sharp guitar lick. Bapida was seated, joining in at chorus, while Shuman Chatterjee sang lead vocals, ably accompanied by Proshinjit Pal on synthesizer, Pramai Chatterjee on bass, and Neil Roy Chaudhary on drums. Shudeep Nag's guitar dutifully receded to the background on cue, and we all sang along. Bhalobashi Picasso, Bunovel Dante, 
Beatles Dylan or Beethoven Shunte, Shankar or Ali Akbar Shune, Halolagi Ghore, Halolagi Bhore Kuashai Ghore Pitte. We love Picasso, Gunovel Dante. We love listening to the Beatles, Dylan, Beethoven, Ravi Shankar and Ali Akbar. And then perhaps return home early in the morning amidst the fog and mist. The full-throated rendition left behind the melancholy of Mohin's original. Bapida had answered his calling, singing with a bunch of youngsters who weren't even born when he wrote that song. A bridge had been built. They were singing about the same joys and yearnings, but with a renewed sense of confidence, with a bit of head-banging, no less. Could they be singing about hope? How could they even dare? After all, it was 2019 the year of NRC, National Register of Citizens, and CAA, Citizenship Amendment Act, that seek to determine how Indian we are. Yet, if anyone could, it had to be them. Since then, whenever I hear their songs, I think about those flying horsemen who showed the way, about the rainbow of emotions that binds us to the music of the Beatles, Dylan and Ravi Shankar. This country of ours, must find a way to make it worthwhile for our 19-year-olds. A Bapi who could pen a song like Hai Bhalobashi must be loved, nurtured and respected so that he and the others like him who follow can continue doing what they do best. That song yearns for good days. Shudin, Kachi Eshu, Bhalobashi, Akshate, Shabkichu, it says, calling out to a future when we can all go back to liking, loving, and respecting everyone and everything together. So, I think I think that is a sentiment that that uh, that is uh, hugely challenged these days. But and it has there's a time the time has come for us to sort of reiterate that, you know, wherein sort of uh, are allowed to like, love, and live as we all want to do. This song, written in the 70s, when this boy was 19 years old, brings it out so well. Thank you so much for, you know, sharing this, Shantanu. I, I have a bunch of questions and, and I want to ask you. So what I'm going to do is, and, and because, uh, you know, time is... Uh, sometimes slipping through our fingers, but I, I could honestly sit here for, for the rest of time and just listen to everything you put on. I think I'll, I'll quickly uh, head into the next question which I wanted to ask, uh, which is um, around, um, you know, the whole uh, piece of, uh, I think it's chapter 11, where you talk about cricket, Beatles, uh, and Dilip Doshi's intervention. And so how did this whole um, marriage of cricket and music happen? I want to ask you about that. I also want to ask you about Shiva Mani. And I also, um, you know, have a ton of other questions. But, but I think, first of all, let's talk a bit about Mr. Jagger and Mr. Doshi. Well, Mr. Jagger and Dilip Doshi, I found out then, were great friends. And, uh, you know, I was in Bangalore during that time. And when I heard from Mr. Venkat Vardhan, who's the, uh, you know, who's uh, the boss of DNA Networks who was running the band, he said that Dilip Doshi is the man who sort of convinced them to come and play in India. 
So then I spoke to Dilip and later on we found out Dilip and they, they share, Mick shares, Mick is very fond of cricket. He plays cricket himself. And so there's such good friends that they've sort of played together at times and they've practiced. And so that's happened, you know, it's, it's very simple. And, and uh, Dilip was the man uh, who sort of got them together and sort of convinced them that they should come and come and play in India. So it was as simple as that. So Rolling Stones came and, and, and they played in they played in Bombay too, I remember. Uh, but I was living in Bangalore then and that's where I heard them. And, uh, you know, in the middle, at the middle of the gig, I still remember it started to rain and we were all sort of getting wet. And the band was, of course, on stage and they had a stage extension which sort of protruded right into the audience and there was no roof above that. So just to sort of uh, show their oneness with us, Keith and uh, Mick Jagger while singing came out on that protrusion. They all, we all got wet together singing Start Me Up, which was uh, quite, quite fascinating, quite something. And um, so I, I, I had to write about the concert and then that's, uh, that's I, I still remember. Mm. I'll never forget that. That's one of the greatest gigs I've ever seen. And, and, and to think that it happened in India. Oh, I think you've mentioned that one of your first assignments is somewhere around 96, 95, where you go to interview Shivamani. And I must confess, I had just come into Delhi then from Calcutta. And, you know, in, in Delhi, I was working for the Indian Express. And uh, Shivamani was playing with a band where even Louis Banks was there. They were playing at a jazz little thing. And I heard the music and then I had to. I was asked to come back next morning at 8 o'clock to meet him and I was not familiar with his music until that time so when I heard the band the, eve, the evening prior to this conversation I was just simply blown away you know I, I, I had no idea that the drums could be played in that fashion and, and, and the way he it, it was a well, sort of rollicking affair and there was classical jazz, yes, you know, that's Louis Banks, in a very quintessential jazz man. But then in his in his own way, the little solos and the things that he did was just simply mind-blowing. And that's where I went back the next day and he was he was very affectionate and he realized I was pretty nervous. So he sort of took me in and, and we had a long conversation about his music and about how he would practice, um, you know, with his mom's utensils and and then he would be banned from making a racket at home, but he would still do it and things like that. In the same context, um, the Ranjit Bharat, one of our another greatest, great drummers, who's a Bombay boy. Um, I had heard Ranjit first in Calcutta. He had come to Calcutta to play with his band and again, completely blown away. We were in college then and it was a day-long rock, sort of rock festival and their band came in sometime Early evening, the sun was still out, but I remember um, hearing him for the first time and com being completely blown away, you know. And, and that was the time we used to listen to Jethro Tull a lot. And, uh, and the, Jethro Tull has this fabulous drummer called Barry Mobalo. And I remember hearing, hearing Ranjit Bharat play with his own band and they were playing their own music. And I was reminded of him and I said, this is unbelievable. So... It took me a long time to get to him and uh, Ranjit came to Calcutta. Now Ranjit Bharat is a musical manager with A.R. Rahman and he plays with John McLaughlin in his band. 
and uh, he had come about two three years ago to Calcutta to play and that's when I got in touch with him and we spoke about those days and you know he comes from a classical music family again this amazing synthesis of various cultures happening in a family that is deeply Indian classical rooted to the Indian classical traditions shows us how open our roots are how open we are to kind of accepting and imbibing the various genres of music and cultures of the world. And there's a lovely time he told me about how he would sit with his mother and he would play Western classical and, and discuss with his mother, who's um, Sitara Devi, by the way. And, 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 and they would discuss the nuances of Western music and Indian music together. And I think that's, that's, that's just so wonderful. I mean, that, that's, that's who we are, you know, that's who we are. And, uh, and that's also such a, it's a very wonderful expression of taste and culture. Um, and, and just the kind of, I think, heterogeneity that, that I think something like music and art brings. And, and I was, I was kind of exposed to this way in a very strange way, you know, and, and it's a different band. It was this, we were in school and you've heard this band called OCBSA. They're a UK band of African migrants, very famous in our times. You might, you look up their music, their superb music, and you can't, you will not be able to sit. Their music is so catchy, it's, it's infectious. So they came, they did a tour of India and they came and they uh, played in Calcutta and we all went and we were at the 501 row at the back and you know we were all kids standing on the chairs trying to get a glimpse of them and you know what the song they started with the concert they played Raghupati Raghav Rajana why don't I play it for you it's it's you will it is an amazing a, a, a UK band you a UK band of African immigrants in India in Calcutta singing Bapu's song Oh, my God. 
They called it the joy of Om. And I think that was fantastic. And and you know this this they brought out an album the HMV, which was uh, in Calcutta. Then the studios were at Damdam. The a recording was made. Of, there's a 33, and it's an LP, which I have, of course. And this was, of course, played uh, you know from a 45. I didn't know. I just discovered it while preparing for this podcast that there was a 45 single brought out of this song. Osa playing Raghupati Raghav Rajaram in India, 1981. It's quite amazing. You know, I, I, I really, um, I, I am loving this episode because there's a certain, uh, I mean, there's of course a lot of trivia and a lot of your personal experience, right? Um, but it's also uh, quite, and I, I think referring to what we were discussing, right? That music more than anything else binds us, and and. and i was speaking to another author a couple of weeks back and he said that ayushi you know there's nothing like indian literature we we are like a, we are like europe right we're so heterogeneous that you can't pin something as indian literature and and i think that holds true for music right you can't pin something as indian music there is literature of india and there's music of india but but in so many ways music binds us and i i um, you know um, i had an elective course uh, during college on music uh, which was taught by avinash mudaliar and and he had this really fun section at the beginning of his class and he would ask us you know what's your favorite song and uh, me a north indian who's never been to uh, any southern state uh, at that point of time uh, tells him very non challengingly avinash my favorite song is kangalir indal and i don't know if even if, if i can pronounce it correctly but he was so impressed and he was so happy and uh, and you know of course everyone everyone in the class had different favorite songs right some were some were chartbusters some were these very nostalgic numbers um some were western some were indian um but but it was funny how all of us felt that every single song that we spoke about uh, was impressive and the other also even though there was nothing in common uh, in terms of the language the composition or even the school of music and and that has really stayed with me um and and of course it some of it is down to my personal taste as well i had i had a friend uh, who's um, you know who um, who was a tamilian brahmin and her family had always lived in in, in mumbai uh but when i went to their place once you know her family played uh, ms subalakshmi's uh, venkatesh suprabhatam and now i'm addicted to listening to it in the morning and and i think it really sets the tone for the day and when i played that in college uh, a lot of my neighbors would like always look at me askant because this girl um, uh, who normally would be playing random punjabi bhangra music uh, or uh, that you would dance to in the evening is suddenly belting out carnatic music uh, and that too not at very low volumes 
from her room in the morning but that is the beauty of music from india and, and just like there is no indian literature there is no no indian music as well and and i think western music and everyone from dillon to the stones are very much part of the indian consciousness right i mean then the not indian uh, of course a lot of people like to always talk about freddie mercury as if he was still living in uh, gujarat actually uh, it's it's like this you know it's if things touch us deeply i i believe this uh, you know if things touch us deeply and i think i i think they should be recorded so if things touch us deeply they should be recorded and that's the reason why i wrote it wrote this book and if i mean it's an incredible sense of joy for a fan to come face to face with his heroes that's one aspect and the other aspect of this large the other aspect is this larger than life thing that i discovered while writing this book and which i was talking about you know this all encompassing aspect of music is you know that is something which um, which sort of i came upon me much more consciously than ever before and it and i realize and I, and the examples and 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 the instances i never realized the instances were so near i just thought they personal because i you know grew up with so many records at home and there was ventures playing in the morning and then in the evening there would be in the afternoon a bit of rovindra songit and then in the evening some ravi shankar so but um it it now comes to pass that you know this is who we are and and while writing this book this is what sort of happened to me that you know looking back on these old conversations and and there was one aspect of the fanboy and the other aspect was this larger thing that sort of i got uh, reminded of again that you know signposts of music in our lives are so deeply embedded like that you know it's it's something and that that's what keeps us going you know that that in the end keeps us going that's what keeps us going i i actually wanted to ask shantanu which is and and because i i think even in your interview with sting right uh, you discussed say how interview with a vampire was a literary influence etc but i wanted to turn that around and ask are there other books right uh, about music or featuring music that you particularly love for me an equal music by vikram seth is a great favorite but i haven't really read a lot of books that feature music very prominently as a theme uh, perhaps because it can be experienced right people prefer making music as opposed to writing about it but you would be the best person to recommend uh, for the listeners on the podcast and in, in general if there is a fiction or a non-fiction book or even a biography or a memoir that really resonated with you this is a small book which i picked up in delhi and i think it's fantastic it's called music for life it's by fiona maddox it has it talks about 100 works 100 uh, classical music pieces down the ages and with little brief introductions to to each one of them and and tells us why they are the great pieces of music as they were and it was an education for me and some of the some of them are very common and yet this is a lovely book but this is a book which deals directly with music of course there's this book called a kind of blue it's by ashley Hunt. 
Kind of Blue is actually always on my desk. It's about the making of this seminal album of uh, Miles Davis by the same name. And uh, that's that's uh, something which I always sort of keep uh, beside me and time and sometimes see. Uh, Robbie Robertson's biography was out early in the last year or maybe this year. It's a fantastic book. It talks about his journey with the band and Bob Dylan. And, and uh, similarly, even Levon Helm, who was part of the band, a very integral part of the band, the drummer, uh, he has his own book. Uh, it's called uh, This Week's on Fire. So if you read these books and if you are a fan of Dylan and especially the band, one of the seminal band, you know, music groups of uh, our uh, culture, uh, you will find that, you know, they talk about how they grew up and their influences. And Robbie Robertson was this Canadian guy who at 16 left home, took a train and came down to in the United States to play music. And then he sort of teamed up with the rest. And it's an, it's an incredible story. It, it just goes to show that, you know, if you have it in you, nobody can stop you. You just sort of go on. And, uh, and of course, there's another book. It's a pretty... I don't know. It's 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 just it's a book of Bob Dylan's lyrics, of his songs and lyrics. That is, it's just a compilation of all his songs and lyrics. It has his picture on the cover. It calls Bob Dylan. It's called Bob Dylan lyrics, nineteen sixty-two to nineteen eighty-five. There's nothing else in it. It's just the songs and the lyrics by album. It's a wonderful read. I am assuring you. You know, you could just sort of take it to bed before sleeping and read one song. Read it as a poem. It's another experience. Reading Dylan. Reading Dylan. Yes. Uh, since we are going to be talking about Dylan, I will play three lines of one of my favorite tracks. And yes, I was just going to say that that perhaps you know, as an end note, uh, we we wrap up with this. And I, I, I can't think of like a, a, a better end right. to a lovely yes. conversation. So thank you, Ayushi. And, um, you know, it was wonderful talking to you. Thank you for reading my book. I, I definitely think a lot more people should read Calling Elvis. To me, it was an education. Huh? Um, and, and perhaps because uh, I am uh, not very knowledgeable or, or a music uh, aficionado. But to me, it was absolutely uh, instructive and wonderful to read. And hence, to everybody listening to this podcast, please go and, and buy Calling Elvis. It's a phenomenal book. Uh, it's available on Amazon, on Flipkart, at ind in independent bookstores near you. Uh, it's published by uh, Speaking Tiger. And um, and Shantanu has literally compiled years of knowledge, of anecdotes, interviews into it. So I actually think if you have the littlest bit of interest in music, the books are keeper. So please do go and buy that book. And thank you, Shantanu, uh, for doing this. Thank you, Arshi, for saying those wonderful words. Thank you so much. Uh, this is song that I will play and we will end with is a... It's a phenomenal song and it, it sort of, it serves as the uh, ep uh, epigraph of my book. And I've just taken two lines from the song. I will read that out and then I will play the song. Someday everything is going to be smooth like a rhapsody when I paint my masterpiece. That's Bob Dylan. And now this is the band singing this wonderful song. 
trouble. Ancient footprints are everywhere. You can almost think that you're seeing double. On a cold, dark night on the Spanish stairs. Gotta hurry on back to my hotel room. Here I got me a date with a pretty little girl from Greece. She promised she'd be there with me. When I made my masterpiece. Do not forget to tune into us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Gana, and HT Smartcast. <laughs>